Welcome to the Book Club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is Joseph Goslin, who wrote The Real Estate College Fund, the only college saving plan that pays you. So welcome to the show today, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Glad to, glad to have you here. I, I love what you've been doing in real estate. And before we dive into some of the details, you want to tell listeners more about you? Yeah, so we have uh, two major businesses. One is our real, commercial real estate brokerage, where we specialize in multifamily. And our other business is why we're so good with multifamily is because we're also owners and operators, and we bring together investors to buy and repositions communities. So what we like to say is we buy apartment complexes and we transform them to communities. Awesome. Now, when it comes to running the brokerage, so how do you get started in real estate? So I started like everybody else with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was kind of like an accidental landlord. My wife and I were young. We bought a, an apartment and it was too big for us. So we decided to stay in the smaller one that we were renting and just uh, um, uh, rent out the bigger one. And then you know, you start seeing cash flow and you start seeing income coming in every month and there's some leftover after the expenses and it's kind of like, okay, there's something into that real estate thing. Yeah. And then in 07, we moved to the US and we kind of were fortunate enough to realize that probably the best market to buy in our lifetime, right? The big crash. Mm -hmm. So we moved all the money over from the the from Israel, it wasn't a lot of it, but it was enough to help us get started down here. But mm -hmm. we came in as immigrants, right? We don't know the system here. We don't know how real estate works. We don't know the rules. So what we did, both my wife and I got licensed as real estate in, uh, agents in Texas. So that's why we're licensed in 08, 09, uh, which gave us access to the MLS, who gave us the knowledge and the comfort to start investing here. Mm -hmm. So that's how we got started. And that's amazing. I hear that most of the time. It's people who are typically starting out is, do I get my real estate investing license or do I not get it? So how was in it? Did that education and that, you know, data from the MLS really help you in the beginning with not knowing too much? Yeah. So I kind of skipped a little phase in the middle, right? So right in 2008, my daughter got, was born and um, that's also a story I tell in the book. It's kind of like mm -hmm. I sit at the hospital and I had my laptop with me. My wife was sleeping. My daughter was sleeping. And you kind of start, your head starts spinning, right? And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, well, what is she going to be? Is she going to be an engineer like me? I was in IT back then, right? Is she going to be something else? And, ooh, college in the U.S. is expensive. So let's see what's going on. And you open those, those online calculators and all that. And I say, okay, if I want to send her to MIT for four-year engineering school, what am I going to have to pay? And then that's the point where it all went dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like it sped out to me. Well, it's going to cost you like $1.2 million. So <laughs> if you want with inflation and everything, right? So if you yeah. want to send her to MIT, you better start saving $7,500 a month. Like that was more than I was making right? <laughs> back yeah. at that time. So it's kind of like, that was a very scary thought. And that's where it kind of 
like I said, it was 08. Everything was blowing up in the background. We realized it's the market. So things just clicked together and said, you know what? Mm -hmm. Let's buy real estate, right? Let's make that the college fund. And instead of us just pushing money out to, to some account somewhere and trusting the market. And in 2008, nobody had really a lot of trust in the market, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, let's put it in real estate. So that's what we did. So that's great. And yeah, no, I no went back on your question <laughs> on that one, but it was perfect. I love, I love laying that foundation because I think that's, that's very important, right? If you, if you know where someone's coming from and their why, then you can backtrack into the investment. You're oh, okay. So that's why Joe, you know, chose real estate as an investing choice. And I love how you outline the benefits you know, as opposed to, you know, stock market investment or savings. Um, it's just, to me, it's black and white and I, I real estate investor myself and I, I love it. I see it. And it's funny. I love when you said you went dark in the book, <laughs> seeing all those zeros. It's like you, you backtrack and you're like, you can't just say it like that's a lot of money per month. So and, uh, it, it was just impossible. It was literally yeah. more than I was making that back at the time. So yeah. was, how, how can I afford that? Yeah. No, that's, that's a question. I love that resourcefulness. It's okay. Let's find a way that makes sense. So my quick question, a little side note is, so did you have the passion before your daughter was born? I'm assuming that was your first child. Yes, and, that was my first child. Yes. Okay. Was it, was uh, it like a light bulb or something like a motivator that clicked in your head? Well, so I was investing in real estate since 2005. So that wasn't, yeah. The, the, the first investment that we've done, but it was the first purposeful investment that we've done, right? The previous one was, like I said, kind of accidental. It was too big. We didn't need it. It kind of worked out. So we, so I knew there's benefits. I read reached that poor dad, right? So I knew where that was going. And then I had an extra reason of, okay, I got to figure out a way. How am I going to make a million dollars in 18 years? Mm -hmm. it's not that simple <laughs> so um buying that house paying down equity getting cash flow right all these things can really help you over 18 years generate a nice little fund right mm -hmm. that when my daughter's going to get 18 i can hand over the keys and say okay this is your college fund do you want to pay tuition and live off the rent Go for it. You want to sell it off and just pay the the, uh, uh, the tuition? You can do that too. So she'll get the option and I didn't have to push money out of my paycheck, right? Every month into some account that is at the gracious of, of the stock market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said. Now, in terms of, you know, investing today and and moving towards, you know, larger multifamily, do you still practice that same purposeful event or is it more, you know, do, you know, performing for your investors? So how does that kind of work? How did you transition from that first, you know, college fund into the larger? Yeah. So over the years we've done singles and, and you get that passion, you get the book, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody that is in real estate will understand what I'm saying, right? It, it, it's, it's very, it's like chips, right? You can't have one. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but at certain point, somewhere around 2015, I had this moment where I realized singles is just not scalable, right? Mm -hmm. I can't keep buying singles because 
there is that concept of, oh, you get cash flow. Yes, you get two, $300 cash flow every month. And then next month and then the next month and everything is awesome. And then suddenly you have a water heater burst or you have a AC unit that goes out or you have a hailstorm or whatever that is that wipes away months or years worth of cash flow. And uh, that's still a, a major problem that if you, nobody prepares you to it, you, it can catches you in a really bad spot. So that also is one of the reasons why I wrote that book is as far as I've seen, and I've read a lot of real estate books that that's the only one that actually lists all the things that can happen to you. Not all, but probably most of the things that can happen to you, but mm -hmm. it's not designed to scare people off. It also gives everybody the strategy of how to mitigate those risks, right? Uh, um, nobody teaches you about screening tenants. Nobody teaches you about professional tenants. Nobody teaches you about uh, the fact that you need a capex budget that when the when the resident move out and and you need to get ready to lease you're gonna have to paint you're gonna have to replace a carpet you're gonna have to replace appliance every once in a while right mm -hmm. so um all these things nobody tells you right the rich dad poor dad doesn't tell you that you better drive that neighborhood at night because neighborhoods can get completely different when people come back from work right mm -hmm. so <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I try to take uh, all my experience and all my knowledge and shove it into a shorter book, right? Because I didn't want something that is 300 pages and takes forever to read because people don't go through all of those books, right? Mm. Uh, it's concise, it's condensed, it's pretty thorough in terms of what could go wrong and how to mitigate your risk there. And, um, but for me, right, I got hit with that because nobody taught me all these things. I had to learn on the go. So in 2015, I had a period of about six months where I cut about forty, $45,000 checks in, on one property. <laughs> so that was a very painful experience. And then yep. I had another property that needed a fence, and that was $8,000. And another property that needed an AC, and that was like $3,500. And I'm looking at my wife and it's, that's not scalable. Right? How many people can cut $50,000 checks, right? Mm -hmm. um, at any given time. So that's really where I said, okay, what else is out there? And um, long story short, right? I researched everything under the sun and then some <laughs> and landed on multifamily. And that's what we do today. So with the multifamily, the purpose didn't change, but it expanded, right? Mm. So the core is always taking care of my family, right? That's always there. But to that, now I have two more uh, sets of, uh, uh, call it stakeholders, right? Mm -hmm. or, or, or groups that I care for, right? And that's our residents and mm -hmm. our investors, right? So we always say we come third, right? Our investors come first because it's their money that we have taken and they have the trust in us and we will do whatever it takes to make sure they're protected and that mm -hmm. we deliver what we projected, right? And the second is our residents. And I tell that even to the people that work for us on site, I tell them, look, the, the person that pays your salary is not me. It's not the property management. It's not the regional supervisor. It's the people in those units around you so you treat them like the person that pays your salary, right? And we usually uh, are focused on the B and C class apartment communities, 
which means we always work with residents that are from the the blue collar uh, uh, social demographics, right? It's the hardworking families. It's the people that work in retail and, and restaurants and, and all the the supporting staff of, of all these uh, businesses. And they deserve a great place to live in. They deserve to think and to feel that when they go back after work, they're going home. They're not mm-hmm. going to a place where they're going to sleep. They're going home. That's why we call them residents and not tenants, right? Uh, that's why we call it community and not a complex. Mm. That's, that, that comes down to the core values of our organization. Even the terminology is different. So that, that, the purpose didn't change. It just expanded. Now we've got two more groups that we care for. Yeah. And well said. I, I love that. I love how you put you know, the, the needs of others before yourself. And I think that's very important, especially as a businessman and, and person. And we had some great conversations at the IMN event. And I was like, you know what, this, this Joe guy, I was like, he's real. And I think that's, that's the most important part when it comes to owning a business, right? Is that character and doing what you say you're going to do and delivering. And, and I think, you know, of anybody I talked to, I, I think you nail that out of the park every time. So how scary was it the, that first time, that first step, you know, going from a, a little multi to a larger one? Oh, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not only scary, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Right? And I get to talk to a lot of people out there that, you know, see a commercial or a web page of, of some education group and everything looks easy, right? If you have a few hours a week, you can run a syndication. <laughs> I, there's a lot more to it than just talking to people and getting a check from them, right? So I've done my first syndication by myself, soup to nuts. I didn't have any partners in that one. And one of the main lessons I learned from that experience was never do it alone again. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. It, it was just too much work, too much stress, too much yep. pain. Right, mm-hmm. a lot of sacrifice. So I had to miss sleep. I had to miss weekends. I had to miss school events. Uh, but my family supported me. They knew that it's a it was a short term, high intensity sacrifice period because I was doing all that while I was still having a W two job. So uh, uh, it was what it was. But it got me where it was, where I am yeah. today. Uh, but that's really where, yes, you're scared. You're taking money from people that you know, because usually the first round of, of all syndicators is, is friends and family, right? You take money from friends. You take money from coworkers. You take money from your family. And you better live up to that expectation. So there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, but that's, there's a way to mitigate that too. Yeah. And well said. So looking back, and, and I think I, I remember hearing you on another podcast talking about that growth mindset. So, you know, if, if you went back to that first one, you know, who would you have on your team, right? And who would you surround yourself with to kind of make that process a little bit, you know, not easier, but not lose too much sleep over? <laughs> well, there's just a different, uh, um, uh, different way to go about it when you have support. 
right? When you have a partner that also have a network that also pitches in, in raising equity, for example, or talking to investors, uh, that adds a little bit to the dynamic of, hey, there's another set of eyes making sure that my underwriting is right and my uh, uh, interviews are correct and my paperwork is right, right? Because there's a lot mm -hmm. of paperwork in there as well. So uh, having a partner it has really changed the dynamic of our following syndication since we've done since then. Uh, mm -hmm. It definitely made life a lot easier. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a... I've heard it before. It's a team sport and, you know, making sure you get it across the finish line. It's, it's great. And who you surround yourself with. So, all right, let's, let's fast forward a little bit, right? So we're talking about using real estate as a college tuition fund. So it, in an ideal world, let's say you have some equity pay down over, you know, the 18 years that you've owned it. Um, what's the best way to access that capital? And, you know, is it, disposition are you going to sell it or is it a refinance or is it you know maybe a house hack of some sort for the daughter or? so everybody has their own uh, um, preference in these things right me personally i don't believe in selling real estate uh even though i do multifamily now i still own that house that i bought for my daughter yeah. um and it's just because I can't financially and mentally get myself to sell it because I refinanced it last year uh, or yeah, last year mm -hmm. and I pulled all the money out. So I own this property for free basically mm -hmm. and it's still cash flowing quite a bit. So what am I going to get right after the refi? Mm -hmm. If I sell it right now, maybe I'll see 50 or $100,000 just in cash flows over over a thousand dollars a month. Where can I find something like that, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. that's really where I don't believe in selling uh, because there's a few bad things that happen when you sell, and that happens when you sell real estate or you sell stocks, right? This is why I don't like stocks. Um, when you sell stocks, uh, two bad things happen: you no longer have the asset, and Uncle Sam comes knocking on the door, right? Same thing happens. With real estate, if you sell the property, you don't have an asset anymore, and your uncle some comes knocking on the door. So the cool part about real estate, and one of the really cool part about real estate is when you refinance a property and you pull the equity out, that's a non-taxable event. You take you took a loan. Who gets taxed to get to take a loan, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a non-taxable event. All that money is tax-free. So if you take that money and you roll it over, now all your growth started tax-free. So that's really where when time comes and my daughter is ready, uh, she can choose to maybe sell it in 1031 into a bigger property with like a fourplex where she can house at. Or mm -hmm. um, she can take the monthly uh, uh, income and just pay tuition, pay living expenses, pay uh, uh, whatever she needs to pay. Um, or she can sell it and, and do that. But obviously, I'll advise against selling, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but, but she'll be able to look at this then. And I hope that I'll, uh, um, I'll get her to knowledge and experience by the time she'll get to that point that she'll understand the math and she'll understand the, the reasons to sell or not to sell, to refinance whatever she want to do. Mm-hmm. 
And that's amazing. I think you, you, so in terms of, you know, getting your daughter to that age and, and your son as well. So when they grow up, what is, what's a good process, you know, besides playing Monopoly and reading books to, to teach your kids that financial literacy. So once they are of that age, they're, you know, they're thinking like Joe, right? You know, long-term growth. So, so first of all, don't knock Monopoly. Monopoly <laughs> I is love a it. Fantastic <laughs> game to play with the kids. What I love about Monopoly is that you can tear the knowledge into the game. So you start with just buy a property, get the win, roll the dice, right? And then mm -hmm. you can add another tier that talks about mortgages. And you can add a tier about negotiation, right? I want to buy this thing that you own. Let's negotiate. I'm going to give you this. You're going to get that, right? And there's another tier of adding the chips on, right? Which basically means you're upgrading the property. You're doing a rehab. You're forcing appreciation. So you can add the conversations with the kids as they grow, still playing the same game, yep. right? My kid when he was six, was able to explain to you what a mortgage is and what's the return on investment and how long it's going to take to return the investment, yeah. right? All by playing Monopoly. So that's not happening uh, uh, if you just roll the dice. It's also important to throw in the conversations mm -hmm. with them, explaining the concepts behind that and then tearing in the complexity of Monopoly as they grow older. So Monopoly is obviously one way I incentivize them to read the books I want them to read. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll show them videos of, of uh, kid entrepreneurs. Uh, we'll, every once in a while, we'll watch Shark Tank together. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's got to be an environment and not a one-time thing, mm -hmm. Right. So they got to grow in an environment where they say, dad, I want a PlayStation. Okay. How are you going to fund it? Right? The answer is not yes or no. It's you can have it. How are you going to fund it? Mm. Right? So they work really, really hard to, uh, to, to, they wanted a Nintendo switch, right? So we don't give them allowances, but we give them opportunity to earn commissions. Um, uh, there's a really good book that my name ran away. The name ran away from me right now uh, about teaching kids finances. Um, I'll remember later. Uh, yeah, we'll add it to the show notes. Um, but, um, but what I, what it basically is talking about is let them opportunities to earn commissions. Right. So mm -hmm. clearing your table off the, the, the plate off the table, that's something you're supposed to do. Cleaning your room is something you're supposed to do. But help mom unload groceries or clean the car or uh, clean the living room, help grandma with something. Right. These are all mm -hmm. activities where they can earn commissions. And then whatever they earn has to get split between spending, saving and charity. Nice. So that's really where uh, you got to make sure that you also teach them the give part, right? Mm. And so they've been saving really hard to, for that Nintendo Switch. That's a $300 console, right? Uh, uh, so um, I think they started talking about combining their funds and now they started <laughs> learning that they can get an investor and they can work together, right? Yeah. 
Uh, so they saved up about 200 and something. And then I said, okay, let's do this. Right? Uh, there happened to be a deal somewhere online, so I could get it for 250 Right? I told them, I'll buy it for you, and we're going to take whatever money you saved, and we went to the bank, and we opened the saving account. So now they have a saving account, and they're all excited about going to the bank and putting, I don't know, $15, $20 that they saved you know, every once in a while. So mm -hmm. this is really where I try to find every opportunity that I can to talk about how do we fund this, what do we need to do, uh, um, what does it cost, Mm -hmm. Why do we have to take care of our resident? I'll take them with me when I go to a property. Mm -hmm. I want them to grow with this all around them. And then if they still choose to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer, that's their choice, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to show them the options. Yeah. Well, I think that's amazing. And as a former teacher, I, 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 can, I, I agree 100% with you. Like leaving that option because that's what creates that resourcefulness, that create creativity where you're just going to find a solution, not a no, not a yes. And I want to point out, I love how they combine their funds. It's like a little mini syndication. So I yeah, see yeah. that next level of monopoly there. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't encourage that. That was the cool yeah. part about this. They came up with it on their own, right? Well, I got $80 and you got $60. And if we combine it, we'll have 140. And it's kind of like, they came up with it on their own. And that's the cool part about that. Yeah, that's so cool. So now they're going to split the playing time 60-40 because of the, <laughs> the percent. <laughs> no, they usually play together and fight with each other, then hug <laughs> each other, and then fight with each other, and so on and so on. Yep. That's awesome. No, that's great. And I love how you bring them around the investments too. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great thing to, to learn at a young age. So let's say you, ha you meet a parent, right? A parent, they have young kids, they've never invested in real estate. And now they're, they're thinking, okay, college, you know, they've done the calculator, they freaked out over the zeros. And they come to you and they say, Joe, you know, after reading the book, I have a pretty good idea. What's a good place to start? Uh, well, you start at understanding the financials. You start mm -hmm. at reading a little bit about what is real estate, what does it mean, uh, um, learn your market. Some markets are just not a good market to buy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're living in New York in a condo, right, it's not an option to buy a condo in New York as your college fund because this will lose money every month. <laughs> so uh, that's that's really where you got to understand where you are what's your options uh what real estate is all about what the benefits of real estate is right because real estate once you start buying uh, rental properties it's a business it allows you to take business trips and business expenses and the the, the whole depreciation and taking tax deductions it gets a little bit more complicated, but it brings so many value and so many advantages that if you educate yourself, you can take advantage of. But if you just buy something without understanding what you're doing, A, there's a chance that you're going to make a mistake, right? And a good one. And B, you might not be able, you might not take all the advantages that you could have mm -hmm. because don't trust your realtor and don't trust your CPA to know what they're doing. I literally met a guy uh, that had rental properties for years. His CPA never took depreciation. 
I, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm not even talking about the guys that do their own taxes and they only own one single, single family property. If nobody told them about depreciation, they wouldn't know about depreciation. So, so that's the kind of things that get yourself educated. It will be definitely worth your time and, and will return the money. Um, and then on the realtor side, if you're going to buy an investment property, ask your real estate agent, do they own any investment properties? If the answer is no, move on and find the one that does. And, and I know it's, it's easy to fall into the mindset of, well, they're real estate professional. There's, they got to know what they're talking about. No, they're not, right? If they haven't owned the property before, a rental property and dealt with uh, residents and dealt with leasing and dealt with a water heater blowing up in the middle of the night, they wouldn't know the impact. They wouldn't know how to financially underwrite the property to figure out, is it worth my time and money? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Bigger Pockets has a fantastic calculator for rental properties. And what's good about it is it's asking you all the questions, right? Mm-hmm. How much is your utility bills? How much is your tax bill? What do you project to put this? And it puts everything together and gives you an analysis. So I definitely encourage people that are just starting to go to Bigger Pockets and, and under, analyze those properties through their calculator. And no, I'm not affiliated. I'm not getting anything from Bigger Pockets. <laughs> yeah, but that's well said. You know, I think Bigger Pockets is a great resource, and and those calculators is a huge fan of, and it definitely helped me because, right? If if you can have that education, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. Pad the stuff that you don't really know yet, and ask yourself those right questions. You know, you can kind of sidestep those landmines. And I think you did a wonderful job in the back of the book of you know, here's all the things that could go wrong. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and watch out. But it, but it is rewarding, right? It's, it's scary at first because if you don't know something, it's scary. But like you said, educate yourself. And then you can start to fill in those gaps and, you know, be about 90% out of 100 and take that first step. Yeah, and I, I had a good conversation with another person the other day just about these things. And a good advice I would give anybody that gets started is realize that if you really want to make money out of these things, it's got to be a long-term commitment. If you'll buy a rental property and you'll sell it in three years or five years, you're not going to make money, period. And this got nothing to do with the market. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with the way amortization schedule looks like on a mortgage. Right, so the banks are not suckers. Right? They're giving you a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage at a very low rate. Right, five percent is a very low rate for for interest. Right, mm-hmm. they're banking, no pun intended, on the fact that you're gonna sell or refinance between five and seven years. That's what they're doing. So what they're saying is okay. And now they actually have to have you sign that form that says you are aware that 80% of the interest for the entire loan, you're going to pay it off in the first five years. So anybody that looked at their amortization table looks like I'm paying $1,500 a month, $1,398 of it goes to, (laughs) to interest and like $100 goes to principal. And then it's kind of like it's a sliding graph that over time, the, mm-hmm. um, the interest 
portion goes down and the principal portion goes up. But it's not until you hit the seventh year that you really start building equity mm. with your mortgage payment. So uh, that's just, that's why it's perfect for a college fund because you got the 18 years to, to really start chunking it down at the, the, the second yeah. half of that period. And then um, it, it's also appreciation works for you mm-hmm. and you get cash flow, which you can always roll back into the principal and drop it faster. There's a lot of ways, but it's got to be a long game. Anybody yeah. that plays a short game in real estate is a, either a flipper or not going to make a lot of money. That's just what it is. Yeah. And, and that's a great tip and great explanation of, you know, that the amortization of the mortgage schedule, because it's, it's like reading all those zeros in the financial calculator. Like, uh, I'm going to hold it past seven, hopefully. So that's yeah. good. You don't well, hear but, that all- but most Americans refinance within five or seven years. Yep. They either mm-hmm. move to a bigger house or move to a different neighborhood or refinance because they, they want the equity out of the house. And then they start from zero again. Mm. But just take a minute and think about anybody that you know that owns a house for over 20 years and has the same mortgage, right? If you started a mortgage 20 years ago, your mortgage payment today would be like $350. <laughs> How awesome would it be to have a $350 mortgage payment? Yep. Right? That's, that's the beautiful of fixed mortgages. But unfortunately, not a lot of people take advantage of it anymore. Yeah. And there's other creative options. Like, you know, I bought my first property, I think five or six years ago now, but instead of refinancing and it's, it's get a home equity on a credit on it or no access that capital some other way without refinancing, going back to the interest schedule. So there's, yep. there's amazing ways. And you've highlighted a bunch in the book, which I definitely appreciate. I love it. You know, just being creative. No. Yes. Okay. Resourceful. Let's find it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So b- before we wrap things up, Joe, you know, I had a great conversation. So you want to tell listeners uh, a little bit more where they can find out more about you, where they can purchase the book? Yeah. So the book is on Amazon. It's very simple. Uh, just go write the real estate college fund. We also have a landing page, the real estate college fund.com. And uh, if you want to learn about us, ebgtexas.com is probably the best place to find us. Um, that's our brokerage business and you can always reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm visible everywhere. Not that mm-hmm. hard to find me. Um, I'm always up to, as you know, it's not hard to get me to talk about real estate. So I'm always <laughs> open to um, talk to other and network with other investors. Of course. Yeah. And you're great at that. And I, I'm definitely going to link all that in the show notes, but before we wrap things up, so I asked these uh, last three questions, the interviewee three. So the best uh, real estate advice you ever got, the best business advice and the best advice for life. So three questions. So what's the, the best business advice you ever got? Oh, you should have uh, uh, given me a little bit time to think about that ahead of time. Uh, the best, <laughs> yeah. the best real estate advice that I would give is play the long game. Mm. Uh, we keep saying that real estate is a cycle, but that's not true. A cycle is when you get back to zero every time. But there's not a single property in the United States today that is selling at the same price it was sold in the 1970s. So you get back to zero within the seven, six. 10 year cycle, 
But on the 20, 30, 50-year cycles, real estate always goes up. So it's kind of like a, a, a graduate going up. So mm -hmm. everybody that were underwater in 2007, 8, when they bought at the top in 2006, they're back to zero somewhere last year. And we're still going up, right? The, 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 the economy still goes up. The market's still hot. They're mm -hmm. still going up. So they passed zero again. And then it will go down a little bit and go back up and down again and back up. But it's consistently scaling up. So play the long game in real estate. You, it's really, really hard to lose. That's so that's the best amazing. real estate advice. Uh, the best um, business advice is focus on dollar productive hours. Mm -hmm. Look at everything you do. Uh, there's always the 80-20 rule, right? So, so figure out what's your 80-20. But every task that you had in, have in front of you, figure out, is it the best use of my time? Can I get someone to do it for cheaper? Right? Mm -hmm. If I take my task and I hand it over to a $5 person from Fiverr or a $20 uh, assistant or a $50 professional, can I take that time that is off my plate and use it to get $1,000 an hour, $10,000 an hour, right? What can I do that will be more productive of my time? So that's probably the best business advice uh, um, that I look at. And then life advice, um, I'm a big believer in karma, right? So that's just keep karma, send good things out without expecting a return. Mm -hmm. And you will get tenfold. And uh, that's just my belief. I also tell everybody karma is good for business. Um, mm -hmm. And I can give plenty of examples for that. But it's yeah. really about paying it forward. It's about uh, keeping good vibes going out there and, and just be good. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing advice. Spot on with everything you've given you. So, so much value today. So, Joe, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Now, make sure I'll link all the information where you can buy the book, find out more about you, and, and those questions too. So thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And that concludes our book club interview with author Joseph Goslin, who wrote The Real Estate College Fund, the only college saving plan that pays you. I highly recommend you check out Joe and what he's doing out in Texas syndicating large apartment complexes. Joe has such a bright mind on his shoulders and he's such a nice and down-to-earth guy who can explain complex tasks in an easy-to-understand form. I always love speaking with Joe and I think he's one of the best intelligent investors when it comes to teaching children financial literacy. I think he's doing a wonderful job. It's definitely something that we're lacking in our school systems today. And I love his idea of stepping up that education when it comes to monopoly and teaching your children, you know, how to earn a commission instead of just giving them money. I'm going to link that show notes of the book that he was talking about, where you can find out more about Joe, where to purchase his book, and make sure you like us on Facebook so you can stay up to date to the authors we're interviewing and the podcasts we're putting out. My name is Scott Hollister, your host, and we'll see you next time.